Thank you for joining us here at Second Baptist Church. Today you will be hearing one of our members teach from the Bible Studies for Life curriculum. Bible Studies for Life curriculum is provided by Lifeway and is a curriculum that we use in our Sunday school and Bible study groups at the church. If you are able, we would love to have you join us in one of our groups. Our church meets at 301 Tomberlin Road, and more information can be found at secondbaptistwaycross.com. Thank you for joining us. So, we're glad you're back with us. Uh, the last time we recorded was actually two weeks ago, and uh, we did not record last week because we were out of town, and so uh, we were actually speaking that week of, and we mentioned in our lesson, uh, both of us did, of how our friends had just reached a, a place in their life, you know, they've been anticipating for over a year, and they've gotten there. And uh, literally that same night, they received uh, some, some of the most horrific news that any person can ever receive, and their family experienced great tragedy and loss. And so, here we are this week, teaching on the coming of Jesus, and uh, I can't imagine anything that they anticipate more right now. Yeah. So, just want to let you know that as we get into this week's lesson, so... Thank you. Thank you all for joining us again. We are on week seven of our series, Essentials of Christianity. We're glad you're with us, and uh, we're going to talk today about the return of Jesus. And this is one of the true essentials of Christianity and something that we uh, hold as part of our faith. Yes, the writer of the book, if you have it, have, there's an introduction here and he just talks about exciting things that are coming up in our lives maybe graduation or marriage or the birth of a child and I'm sure you have other milestones that you get excited about and he just put this into perspective with Christianity and one of the major milestones of Christianity is awaiting the return of Christ how that he will return to earth. And he says that followers of Christ view this event with both excitement and trepidation. What will it be like when Christ comes back? What will it be like when he returns? Yeah, and Jesus does so much talking about this in the Gospels. And it's it's interesting to go back and read it and try and you know mark those points in your in your scriptures because uh, he isn't just talking about, you know, we go to quote unquote heaven, which is away from here, but he comes back and he sets up a kingdom on earth and God's got a role for us in that. He has a plan for us. He's going to rebuild a new earth and a new heaven. And uh, so just an interesting thing to think about what our future will hold uh, and the opportunities we're going to have in the future to do. And we'll talk maybe more about that in a few minutes as we get further into the study. Okay, so we'll go ahead and start reading our scripture. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 24. They skip verses 1 and 2 um, in the writing, but we're going to pick up with verse 3, and Daniel may hit on 1 and 2 um, when he talks about it later. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus replied to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will deceive many. You are going to hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, because these things must take place. But the end is not yet. 
For nation will rise up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, and all these events are the beginning of labor pains. Yep. So as we get into this passage, I think it's important that I remind us of a few things. Essentially, we know some of the details about three years of Jesus' life. But if we were to take that and break it down, we know basically the details of about four to six weeks of his life. That's what's highlighted in these Gospels. And in this portion of Matthew, which lines up with Luke 17, uh, 17, 18, and 19, and it lines up with John uh, 10 and 11, and it took me a long time to figure out that they all have different roles and things that they're playing. Uh, Jesus is telling... uh, He's in the last week of his life. And to fully grasp what is happening here, you got to go back and start with chapter 23 because he goes into uh, Jerusalem, and this is after he's been greeted by the people, and he does the, the seven woes, if you will. And he, man, he just goes after the scribes and the Pharisees. He goes into the temple, and he's rejected by them, and he just uh, cuts loose on what their religion and their performance of religion has done to people's view of God. And as he is exiting that that moment, and you can read more about this, <clears throat> excuse me, in Luke 18, as he is leaving that thing, the disciples, I, I think they're bothered by it. They're bothered by Jesus' complete rejection of, of these spiritual leaders. And they basically say to him, man, can't you see this temple? And in Luke 18, that's the same story that Jesus tells when he looks at the widow throwing her two mites in. And he says to his disciples, she's done more than the rest of them. And they respond like, but come on, Jesus. These buildings didn't get built by poor people. That's basically the way it went. And so they leave that setting, and then Jesus leaves the city. And they're, 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 they're stirred up and they're troubled. And so they go outside of the city, and then they come to him, and they say, all right, you've got to explain this, because you've just told us the temple's going to be destroyed. Uh, we can't fathom that. We can't fathom worshiping God without the temple. And you've got to explain this. And so Jesus begins to break that down in this passage here. So just it's there's so much there for us to see and, and, uh, and, and read and, and understand, but he is rejecting the spiritual leader's of that day and their control they have over the people. So, and the author gets into this a little bit here uh, as he begins, as he tells some of his personal story and struggles. And, uh, you know, the idea that things can't get worse or things can't get any worse is, is the story that he tells. And Christy may relay yeah. that to you. He says well. that, um, where was it at here? No. Says it's going to get worse before it gets yeah. better, and he was just relaying his drug addictions and how that he felt like things couldn't get any worse, and then it did, and then if things couldn't get any worse, and it did, and how that things just sometimes hit the rock bottom before they actually get any better, and the the way he wrote this whole lesson here just comes from a whole different perspective than than maybe you grew up being taught or maybe you've even read into it yourself um it comes from somebody who's ached and groaned and when you go through things like this like he talks about in this last verse it just made me think it said the beginning of labor pains um you know as a mom 
actually goes through those labor pains and not just being told of how it's going to be experienced, there's just a whole different perspective. And when you go through trials or tragedy, whether that's you or with someone else that you love, um, you have a whole different perspective on the end and on the kingdom of God and what it's like to live in it now and not just anticipating, oh, everything's going to be over when he comes back. There's just a different groaning. Yeah, and, and it's so and to take that in the context of what is happening here, Jesus tells his disciples and the religious people, your temple's going away. It's literally going to be destroyed. He says no stone will be left unturned. And they, in their minds, they say, well, that has to be the end then, right? Then at that point, you have to do whatever it is that you're going to finally do because that's the end. It, it can't get any worse. And Jesus' response is, mm, no, uh, after that, there's going to be life will go on. And, and it's interesting the way he chooses to say that. He says, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. And basically, this upheaval of, of, of power, this power struggle is going to continue uh, and he begins to say that all of that is, is leading to the final culmination of life, which is Jesus' return. And that is life finalized, life realized uh, completely. This will be his return on earth. The writer skips a bunch more verses in Matthew 24 and jumps all the way down to verse 29. So I encourage you to read Matthew 23 and 24. Um, well, you can just listen to the whole book if you can. Um, just hit play on your U version. But Matthew 24, we're going to pick up in verse 29 here. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not shed its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from the end of the sky to the other. Learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its branch becomes tender and sprouts leaves, you know that the summer is near. So the language that Jesus uses here is what is often referred to as apocalyptic language. And I'm pretty proud of myself. I just said that word correctly. <laughs> I know how to say it, but sometimes there's words that just you know trip you up. But this is apocalyptic language, and it's language that the Jews are familiar with. They basically wrote the book on this. In fact, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, uh, this very statement that he quotes here is Joseph's dream. The sun and the moon and the stars are going to bow down to me. Remember him telling his brothers that? And that was a picture of Joseph saying in the dynamics of our family, mom, dad, and my 11 brothers are going to bow down to me. And if you remember the story, the 11 brothers, they, they flipped out. Mm -hmm. And by the way, dad didn't really like it either. Go read the story. Um, I think it's Genesis 33. Uh, could be wrong. But anyways, it's there. And it's the story of Joseph as he has his dream. And so the Jews used the uh, solar system to view and, and to show as a sign of kingdoms. And so they said, man, that star is falling. And we still use that language today mm -hmm. when we say their star is falling. You know, we refer to people. And so Jesus is saying that, that kingdoms are going to rise and fall. And he's using this language to say that, you know, in the midst of all of this, 
there's the truth and the hope that the Son of Man is coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Uh, now, one thing to remember in all this is that one of the truths that Jesus consistently taught his disciples, in fact, he taught them it so much that he, he gave it to them in the prayer, is that God's kingdom is present with us, is present within us. As we live out the truth of God's uh, commands to us, as we live in the truth of Jesus' uh, sacrifice for us, uh, we find this true. And so he uses the term son of man. That was a very Jewish term. It was the messianic term uh, to prove that he was the one uh, and tell them that he was the one that would return for them. Not only was he the one who was present, but he is the one that would return from him. So a lot of language there, um, a lot of pictures there that's been interpreted a thousand ways uh, since Jesus spoke it. Uh, one of the simplest ways to remember in reading scripture, and this is something that was taught to me probably about five or ten years ago, and it really just sunk in more and more, is to read it the way it was originally said to these guys. And so what Jesus is telling them is that in your lifetime, you're going to see destruction after destruction. And they did. They saw the temple come down. They saw another Caesar rise. This Caesar, this, this next Caesar that rose uh, was extremely brutal to the Jews. He was he came and robbed the temple, um, and I mean, and then just descended into chaos. Uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says this. He says when the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple and destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D., that the Jews killed more of their own than the Romans killed the Jews. And that's significant because what's happening here is the Romans literally ran out of wood to crucify Jews. They, they killed so many of them. And Josephus says that was horrible and horrific, but what was even more horrific was that these little sects kept popping up in Jerusalem with people claiming to be the Messiahs, uh, the Bar-Jesus, like Barabbas. They kept on claiming to be the Messiah. And so they would, you know, 3,000, 4,000 people would go over there and commit to this guy, and then 5,000 people would go commit to this guy. And they attacked each other while the Romans were attacking from the outside. Um, and, and this is the picture that Jesus is telling these guys, and this is what they see lived out in the next 40 years of their life. And it's, it's, a, um, it's a devastating picture. But then he says to them, he says, you know, just as you see summer coming, and you know what summer looks like, just realize that all of these things, this upheaval and disorder, is just a sign of my presence and my coming. Yeah, and I think just as we believe um, now that Jesus did come and he did die for us and he's coming again, these people were following people that claimed to be Jesus. But now we know that he has, you know, died and rose again. We sometimes look for signs and wonders too and we chase after, oh, well, this natural disaster occurred, so maybe he's coming again. Or this has occurred, so maybe he's coming again. Or this guy's really bad, maybe he's the Antichrist and we're in the end times. And we seem to chase after this stuff just as the Jews did back in that time. So I think the main thing I wanted to point out was that last verse about the fig tree. You know, the branch comes and then it withers away. It's just like we have a tree out, out of this window which you can't see in the front yard. And you know, in the winter, it's just completely bare and naked and doesn't have anything on it. And then all of a sudden, boom, there's green leaves and it's just beautiful. So... It's just the same way with with us seeking after these um, 
not natural disasters, but these things that can lead us astray and think that he's coming again, he's coming again, when in reality, those are just things we're chasing and we're looking for. We should be living in his kingdom now because his kingdom has come when he came to earth. And that's the kingdom we should be chasing after. And then when he does come and fulfill the promise, then, hey, we're there too. That's just icing on the cake. We just don't need to neglect and, and forget the fact that we are living in the kingdom right now and be present with him in that kingdom. Absolutely. That's a great reminder. So we're going to go now to uh, verses 42 through 44. So we skip a few more verses. And once again, um, and this this person, this author, is challenged with, with taking a cumulative lesson out of several chapters. So, you know, time constraints or whatever. But, hey, you may have more time this week. Take time, turn on your version, listen to it as you're riding to work, or read it, whatever you may do. So, so Matthew 24, verse 42 says, Therefore be alert. Since you don't know what day your Lord is coming, but know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So as Jesus continues this story to this explanation to his disciples, he tells them, uh, to be ready because God is coming. He's also just told them that God is present. And if you go read it in Luke 18, you will also see that as well when he talks about lightning flashing and people chasing after different messiahs. And then right after this passage in Matthew 25, he tells three stories. He tells the story of the, the 10 that are waiting for the bridegroom and five aren't ready. He tells the story um, of the sheep being separated from the goats, and there's another story there, and I forget which one it is, but um, he tells those three stories of separation, and those are help his disciples visualize the reality of the presence of God in the coming kingdom and the present kingdom um, in their lives, and so he just said, "Be ready," you know, and and the way we be ready, interesting choice there. The way we are ready is literally what Christy just shared a minute and a half ago that we live in the kingdom right now. Um, Dallas Willard says that one of the challenges of Christianity is moving it from our head to our heart. And I've heard that multiple times from a lot of different people, but he says the difference is that in the heart, we do what we say we believe. Whereas in the head, you know, we believe like, for example, we, we believe that prayer is important. And then we oftentimes don't pray. Um, those sorts of things and so making it real in our spirit uh, is the challenge for us which is what Jesus has given to his disciples yeah and Randy Alcorn um, he has some fiction and non-fiction books but he just reminds you too that that you are living in this mm -hmm. kingdom there are parallel kingdoms with the kingdom of, of heaven and the kingdom of earth and how that we really in essence walk in both of those kingdoms and we make the choice and the decision daily whether we take care of other people by living in the kingdom of God. Um, just simple stuff like Daniel's in this morning, you realize, hey, there's some people waiting across the road. I can be the one to stop and let them cross the road. Little things like that um, are part of living in God's kingdom of seeing the 
reality that there are other people involved in your daily life. Um, they did ask a question here. What does it look like to be alert and ready for Jesus' return? Sometimes we're, um, like I said about the last scripture, we're looking for, oh, that means he's coming. You know, there was a tornado. Or, um, wow, this guy's really bad. He must be the Antichrist. We must be about to be raptured. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what are some things that, what does it look like to be alert and ready? Yeah, and those things that Christy's mentioning are, I mean, they're entertaining things. They allow us to exercise our intellect, yeah. to put pieces of the puzzle together. But God's calling us to a lifestyle that, that stems from a heart that's committed to Him. So what does it look like to be alert and ready for Jesus' return? Um, to me, it, it, I think it means two things. God can be known now, like we can literally know and experience the presence of God right now. Uh, and that the people that He has created, and then the people that He has created, which is all people, are infinitely valuable to Him. Um, I write down um, living with purpose, which is pretty much what Daniel just said. Um, his kingdom is present now, not just futuristic. Sometimes I think we look forward to what we interpret the rapture or yeah. the second coming as as a release, as a, okay, I'm just here. I'm supposed to be doing my own business and minding my own business and going to church and doing my, you know, Christian duty. And then when the when the second coming actually happens, oh, okay, then it's all over and everything I did. No, no, no. Like, N.T. Wright, I was listening to him yesterday, and he was just reminding everyone that what we do now matters. Very much so. The, the fact that you don't litter and you take care of this earth, and when God comes to set up his second, um, the new heaven and the new earth here, just these little things do matter. The way you love other people, the way you take care of your family, all these things are preparation for the next kingdom. And it was just a good reminder that we're to live in the kingdom now and not just wait on this zap into the next life. Absolutely. And one of the ways you can picture that is, you know, just another reading challenge for you <laughs> um, is 1 Corinthians 15. Go, go read 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul's laying out, and, and my Bible is, is actually videoing me right now. It's in, it's in my phone, the one I would use to read that. But Paul is uh, just walking through what it means to be in Christ and what it means to have hope and you know we get caught up on the passages where you know our works are consumed by fire but God is a consuming fire and so literally the things we do will be refined into gold and those little things that we think are so little are actually the things that are turning into gold uh, as we live with the reality that God's kingdom is present. Yeah, and that's funny that he actually mentioned that in that podcast that he was comparing Isaiah to 1 Corinthians 15 and just the actual parallels even between mm -hmm. those two. I want to read something the writer wrote as we um, get ready to close. Living as people ready for Jesus' return affects everything we do. Let us be a people who belong to a bigger kingdom, servants to the master of creation, always on guard and ready at a moment's notice to enter the glorious victory our king has promised that he will bring that's great wonderful way to finish it up so thank y'all for joining us and uh, we hope to see you next week thank you for listening